What does that look like to you? What does a competitive team mean? That's a different way to frame it rhetorically than, say, a team that uh, will be contending for a championship. What does competitive look like to you? We should be competing for a playoff spot. We should be building a team that has the ability to make the playoffs, and that's certainly our expectation for our team. Um, I believe we'll be able to meet that expectation, and we should have exciting baseball in September and October for our fans to be proud of. I think it's a continual evaluation, um, and it's, it's both an evaluation of how we feel internally, those discussions continue, and also an evaluation of, of what's available um, and how that may impact various players on our team. And it really is this balance between uh, bringing someone a little bit more established um, versus allowing our young players to play a little bit more. And that's a, a balance we're constantly going to have to, to find, um, not only this year, but going forward. I am a big believer in letting your younger players play. Mm -hmm. At times, that means that you're going to have uh, some hiccups at the major league level. Um, and even in New York, we have to be okay with that. We, we have to understand that at times we're going to play young players and they're not going to succeed immediately. And we have to be patient. Um, and if we are, we'll be rewarded for that. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, January the 21st, 2024. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at TalkingMetsNoG. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan Sided Network for hosting the show. And I encourage you, if you haven't yet, go to the newsletter, Talking Mets Beyond the Mic, substack.com slash at Talking Mets No G. Special Hall of Fame promotion, 20% off for signing off for a year today. And uh, we'll have a lot of fun with that. Well, welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. It's our annual Hall of Fame show. Hour two, we'll get into the Hall of Fame. There is so much Mets connection to the Hall of Fame this year. I've never seen so much Mets connection. Brought it back. A lot of good memories going through my ballot. A lot of bad memories going through my ballot. I spent more time on this year's ballot than I ever have. I think part of it is because of special treat for you guys, for paid subscribers. I'll go through the ballot in the second hour. And we'll dive into Wright and Reyes. David Wright and Jose Reyes. First-timers on the ballot. I think they'll be last-timers on the ballot within a couple of days. Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. Reyes is not going to make it. Right? You know, there's a small chance I think he falls below the 5% threshold. And he'll be done. Uh, but for paid subscribers, I'll take what I talk about. And I'll actually dive into it a little bit. I mean, this is one of the rare times where if you listen to the show, and then if you're a paid subscriber, maybe you could say, hey, I'm getting the same thing. But... It's a little bit more numbers-driven because I learned with the show, the segments that I used to do before I created Beyond the Mic and the and the newsletter and the, and the supplement to the podcast, is that talking and, and talking is, is more about the narrative and the conversation about the numbers. Diving deep into numbers doesn't really work. When you see them on paper, it's a lot different. So I think there's a difference. You guys always are good at providing me feedback and letting me know. So that'll be something fun. Uh, of course, you could get 
commercial-free shows as paid subscribers. You have to get them on the Substack app. You can't get them on Apple. Uh, you know, it's still for everybody. The show is free. There are a few commercials. I know some of them are annoying. I, I listen back. I have no control over the commercials. I That's what our good friends at the Fan Sided Podcasting Network, that's their job. They get paid for that. Uh, it helps support the show and keep the show going. And uh, away we go. Now, we are not going to ignore the current team. And that was always a debate. You know, do I take a week off? Because I have to tell you, I hate January and February. I've told you that already. And this weekend here in New York, I mean, with the, the snow on Friday, the snow earlier in the week, rain, yucky mix. And now you've got that frozen tundra, you know, that you're going to be in this frozen space for a couple of more days. It freezes all the leftover snow. Yucky, yucky, yucky. You know, uh, ice melt coming into the house. Uh, gets dark early, really cold, makes you not want to do anything. That makes you not want to get out of bed. Now, a guy with a few dogs can't do that. They get you out of bed. You know, the only things that get you out, get help you during these two months are children, especially, you know, younger children. And I think dogs, because they don't want you to sleep. You know, I think children wake you up a little bit earlier, but it depends. Sometimes dogs are in that same category. But um, yucky, yucky, yucky. But we're talking baseball, having a little hot chocolate. Here and hopefully uh, warming your hearts a little bit, talking about some former Mets, talking about the current team and what have you. So starting off with the current team, that's where we're at. You heard some of the comments from David Stearns on the way in, and I feel like a broken record because this has been an awful offseason from a standpoint of exciting news, at least if you're a Mets fan, because new president of baseball operations, I'm recapping basically what I've talked about every week now, it seems, since November, and He's really committed, and you heard those words on the way in. He's really committed to seeing what he has on this 40-man roster and in this organization in general. So he shied away from just signing veteran A, B, and C to a contract. Because even though those guys have resumes and those guys have long resumes, they're expensive. They could potentially be clogging up the organization uh, and kids that could produce maybe just the same amount maybe better for a fraction of the price and our younger can do it for longer and our homegrown, which at times creates a better connection with the fans, but it requires, and you heard a very key word, patience on the clip coming in. And that's something that really is in short demand in this town. Now, one of the things that I think Stearns has done, and I've said this before, but the more I hear him talk the more I really have to admire where he's going at it because this comes with so much risk and so much criticism the way he's doing it. And I thought to myself, you know, when's the last time a team, uh, you know, went with like key players that were kids on the roster and didn't care what the media said. And the only thing I could think of are the Yankees in 2017 when they got guys like Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and Luis Severino was in uh, on that team. And Jordan Montgomery played a big part in that team. Now, they had veterans. They still had CeCe Sabathia, Michael Pineda, Sonny Gray, Aroldis Chapman was their closer. You also had Dylan Batonsis emerge that season. So, you know, he was a, a you know incredible setup man. And, you know... You look at that and you say, that's probably the closest thing in the last 20 years. Now, before that, even when the Yankees won in 96 with the core four emerging, Rivera and Jeter, Posada was not as big of a a part. Pettit 
was on that, you know, typical team. Uh, there still was all these veterans surrounding them. And, I, you know, I look at the Mets, and I'm, I'm not putting them in that category, but everybody's acting like, well, they're going with all these kids, they're going with all these unproven names. And I talked about this over Beyond the Mic earlier this this week with discussions about Starling Marte and the importance of Marte to this offense because of the ifs. You know, if you want some more certainty that a DJ Stewart or a Mark Vientos or a Britt Beatty is not going to give you, Marte is that guy that could help alleviate some of that. But you still have Alonzo. You still have Lindor. You still have McNeil. You still have Nimmo. You got a guy in, in Francisco Alvarez that had a pretty good season for his first year. Tailed off offensively in the second half. Got to give him a break. Learning the position. Learning the language. Learning a demanding, important position. So give him a little bit of a break. And everybody forgets that. There is a lot of offensive talent here. Starting rotation... A lot of question marks, a lot of guys that could bounce one way or the other. The bullpen still has arguably the best closer in the game. You want to say Josh Hader? Fine. Astros fans are going to say that now that he signed a contract. Mets fans are going to say Diaz. And then they have some interesting pieces like every other team seems to be able to do, contending teams like the Astros. Uh, interesting pieces leading up to it where I don't think it, at this point, it's pretty clear. You see all these relievers, the Robert Stevensons of the board, getting three years, $30 million. The Mets are not going out right now and spending that kind of money on a reliever. It's not like they don't have it. It's not like I believe Cohen will not approve it. They're just like, why do I need to do that? And you heard what Stearns is going to say. He's really, really wants to give the kids a chance. It's something the Mets have never done. I mean, the last time the Mets really gave kids a chance was 1984. Think about it. Well, all right, you want to step back. Generation K in 96, maybe you could say that. Offensively, they still had a number of veterans on that squad. And sure, there were kids. Alfonso, Bronya was still a young player. Carl Everett was on that team. Didn't get much of a chance until the following year when Bobby V took over. You know, but you still had veterans like Lance Johnson and Bernard Gilkey. And Hunley had been in the league for a while at that point. It took Hunley years to establish himself. You know, as and finally emerged as an offensive threat more than just a defensive threat. So the Mets have never really done it. And when they did it, you're talking about eons ago when Frank Cashman was the general manager. The game was completely different. So, and I don't even think they're doing it that way. What basically Stearns is saying is, hey, we have to, as a New York team, implement this component of roster management and team building into the equation. And this sucks because we don't like it. And and we don't like it because it doesn't make off-seasons exciting. It makes us nervous because it could go just as bad as it could go good. And, you know, well, you have this owner now that has all this money. So it hurts even more when he doesn't spend it. Because with the Wilpons, you were resigned to the fact like, hey, it is what it is. You became numb to the BS. You became numb to the anger and to the protesting and to Madoff over that decade where it went on. And you finally just said, enough, I can't deal with it. And you accepted what you got. And you were hoping a lot of ways to make, you know, 50 cents on the dollar, a dollar twenty, knowing that mm, that's not really what they're doing. They're just trying to trying to find the best available option at the price that they could afford. It's not what these guys are doing. They're questioning, well, hey, we got Phil Bickford here, who was good down the stretch. Why do I need John Brebbia? Why do I need Robert Stevenson? They're good pitchers, but they're going to be more expensive. And I got somebody already here that could do that. I mean, they're looking, and I keep reiterating what we talked about with Mets Fix earlier in the offseason. They're looking at this thing 3D. They're not looking at it the way we're looking at it with ERA Plus and 
They they have metrics. I mean, you heard, if you listen to the, the piece, and you can go to SNY.TV, and it's also linked, uh, the piece from SNY. It's about a six or seven minute piece. It was on uh, a hot stove on SNY when they were down in the Dominican, uh, Stearns with Martino. Um, you know, he talked about Sean and how excited he is to see how, at this point in his career, especially mid-season, to take some new information and some new way of approaching his craft and, and turning into a different pitcher. They went and looked under the hood at these guys. It wasn't just them, you know, they're not strolling baseball reference and cruising baseball reference. Eh, this guy looks good. Now, that's what I do to do this show. That's what you do. But we're not in front offices. So... Uh, I think that this, the more, and I said this last week, and I hate to keep repeating myself, but it's relevant because of the SNY interview. Stearns, and he said it over and over, I'm not here to make headlines. He doesn't care what WFAN says. He doesn't care what the fan that likes to write and scream and yell and call talk radio or write into, you know, websites and blogs. I'm canceling my season tickets, and I hate you, and how dare you not spend, and, you know, look, you don't want to go to the game. I think there is going to be a hit on attendance. You know why there's going to be a hit on attendance? Because the mainstream media is going to criticize the Mets because off-season spending, even on mediocre, you know, giving B-plus money to C-plus or B-talent, that still sells tickets. And the Mets are saying, you know, we're not in that, that game. Long range, they if we win, they will show up. Maybe they won't show up in April. Maybe they won't show up in May. And maybe they won't show up till after the All-Star break. But they'll start to show up if this team does what Stern says, which is be fun, exciting, playoff competitive baseball. And there's still going to be enough people showing up. And guess what? Even if you don't show up, you're going to watch on TV because I'm going to watch on TV because where the future of this game is, I think, is streaming and TV. Not cable TV, but TV because I just think the ballpark experience is just so difficult and so expensive. And, you know, lives have changed where, you know, maybe attendance is not ever going to be now, big games, playoff games, yeah, the place will be packed, the place will be juiced, but I don't know no matter what kind of club you have, uh, if unless you're in that iconic era, and, and I don't even know if the Yankees could pull this off, even if they had another 90s run like they did. I don't know if a, a weekday game against a second division club like the Pirates or the Nationals uh, is going to really excite people to leave work and, and go out to the ballpark and get home late and then go to work the next day, even during the summer. I mean, it's just, they got... They'd rather watch it on TV and get on with their life. There's just a lot more things to do, and the world is much more complicated. Jobs are much more complicated. Like, think about that. I mean, going to work in the 70s and the, the, the way that the world shut down in the 70s is way different than 2024. So I'm going off on a little tangent here, but Stearns is saying, I don't care. I don't care what WFAN, what the, what the, the callers, the hosts with the, you know, the mainstream media pundits. I mean, the, the beat's been pretty quiet. But you got some really good guys on the beat, like Healy and Sam, and they get it. They know. They're a lot more educated now. The more you see these beat guys dive into this and they hang around these teams, they're getting it. They're really getting what this is all about, and they're less about the clickbait than ever before. You know, we'll see what the New York Post, Puma, he's kind of that tweener. Maybe we'll get him on the show. You know, nothing against him, but he still falls into that old-school clickbait, you know, at that point. And... Maybe Mets for Clicks is going to become a thing. If you're a Knicks fan, you know it's going on now. It's been a thing for the Knicks. It's been a thing with the Knicks beat. Now, the Knicks beat, unlike the Mets beat, they don't get treated really well because that front office shuts them down. I think Stearns, every time you hear him talk, he is so personable. He's intelligent. He seems to, I mean, if he's a BS artist, he's a really good BS artist because I got a good BS meter. Now, 
there is a point, and they're nowhere near that, where you're going to have to throw this whole give the kids a chance and sometimes go for certainty. Maybe that's mid-season. Maybe that's next year when there's some aces on the market. Maybe it's two or three years from now. We'll see. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It can't be like this every year, but a component of this will and has to exist. Because the biggest thing that has gone on here is that the Mets ultimately will not give their kids a chance. They ship them off. Those kids wind up doing some nice things, and you look at the replacement you got, and either they disappoint, and even if they do well, you still say, hmm, I could have probably got that production for a lot less with a homegrown guy, and that money I could have reallocated here. So it's a bigger picture way of going about business, and it's not going to be popular. It's not going to win him any awards, and look, I'd be curious if he even bothers to go on stations like WFAN or you know, answer some of the idiotic criticisms of his offseason. Uh, we'll see when spring training comes, you know, the narrative, how the conversations are. There's going to be a lot of time for him with the reporters. There'll be time for, you know, at least, like I said, this spring, you're going to be able to assess the team in a normal spring training. I mean, they have not had a normal spring training since 2021. That's three years. You had the lockout in 2022. You had the WBC last year. So this is the first since Cohen's first spring post-pandemic, and if you want to say that's even a normal spring training, I don't know. I mean, think about it. You were coming out, you were still in the midst of the pandemic at that point. Yeah, you were in Florida, so things were different, but I think the beginning of the season, you didn't really even have that many fans. So you finally, for the first time, are kind of like normal. Like, baseball is back to where it was pre-pandemic. Let's talk about that. Like, let's say that. No lockout, no WBC, no BS. Like, you're back, okay? So we'll see what kind of conversation comes from it. You have plenty of time to assess what's going on. Uh, and and really, I think the offseason's over. Like, I think if they sign somebody, I really think it has to be really, really opportunistic. It has to be a guy sitting out there that you can't pass on at the price that he's at, and they're going to sit back, and they're going to wait, and they're going to wait for somebody whose musical chairs are up, and they're going to swoop it and grab it, because that's where this money and this, this financial advantage will do wonders for them. Really, it'll do total wonders for them. And you're not going to like that because you want it now, now, now. You know, who knows? There might be guys sitting around. At this point, we're a couple of weeks away from the Super Bowl. And Cody Bellinger's still on the market. Like, when is this thing going to move? Or all this Chapman's on the market? Um, you know, it's really amazing how slow this offseason has moved. Now, I, we talked briefly about it last week. Maybe it has something to do with the the bankruptcy of all these RSNs. Yamamoto and Otani were getting blamed for it. I'm not sure they were the only things. I mean, some guys were getting held up because of that. I don't think they're the only things. I really think owners are looking at the prices on the free agent market. Their front offices are getting better at assessing the talent. We're having more information out there. And because of all the information that's out there, you really look, and I'll, I'll just look at it like this. Phil Beckford. Phil Beckford. This is just the way it is. I, look, do I think Phil Bickford is Ro- David Robertson? No, I don't. 
but he's a, a decent pitcher with some potential upside with peripherals that make you excited. And he has not a long resume, and he struggled last year. But he had some moments with the Dodgers. And he actually cut his teeth out of nowhere with Milwaukee. Stearns is Milwaukee club. And teams are looking at pitchers like that and saying, well, I got that guy. Do I really need to spend all the money on this other guy? And is it collusion? Of course, the agents and the players are going to say that. And there's always a component of that. Never put it past the owners to suppress salaries by, if you say collude, creating groupthink. It's not the dumb collusion that was overt. Like, what the owners did in the late 80s was just mafioso-style, in-your-face, boorish behavior. It was dumb. It was typical Jerry Reinsdorf, Selig, old-school, you know, old owner mindset. You know, the owners are too smart now to be like that. But you can do it in a stealth manner by just creating groupthink. I mean, look at the world today. To create groupthink in anything, anything is so easy. And baseball has always been, I say this all the time, a copycat sport. So creating group things is not a big deal. It could, could happen very easily. So um, I, I know that listening to Stearns annoys you, but you really have to be comfortable with this. And I've been the biggest victim, not the biggest, I've been the biggest anti, you know, let the kids play person out there. Like, I want them to earn their position. I do. Like, I don't have a problem with kids. I mean, look, I love Wright and Reyes. We'll talk about them in the second hour. Um, but they got to earn it. They can't just be given it. You know, I'm not going to sit around and watch Beatty play for 162 games like he played last year. I'm not going to sit around and be okay with Vientos for 162 games playing like he did last year. You know, Alvarez has to be better. You know, he, maybe he's never going to be who you think he is, want you who you want him to be, but he's got to be better. He's got to be more consistent at the plate and at least stay where he is as a defensive player. I'm not, I've been the biggest uh, critic of that. I've been, I can't be a phony. I shouldn't say victim, critic. But, you know, at some point, my way hasn't worked. My way of just signing veterans, and if the kids really stand out, then you could grab them. It doesn't work. you got to give them a chance. you got to see what they have. It's not a, a scholarship at the big league level, but at some point, you know Brett Beatty can hit AAA pitching. You know Mark Vientos can hit AAA pitching. You have all these young pitchers that are getting some love from Baseball America and the prospect huggers, you know, Christian Scott, who we've written about over Beyond the Mic, you know, is up, up there, one of the names that, to watch. I mean, you're going to, you know, at some point, they could be just as good as Lucas Giolito for a fraction of the price. Maybe not, but we, you got to see. And that requires patience. That requires risk. That requires more disappointment. That requires a weird, like, let's meander through the first 60 days of the season and maybe not get love from the national media, maybe not be picked to win the division. That's just sometimes reality. Like you can't win the offseason, win over the media, build the team the right way and make like make the playoffs. It just it just doesn't exist. It doesn't, I'm sorry. So, you know, nothing much has changed here. The more you hear Stern speak, Ever since the GM meetings in early November, it's the same message. We talked about his vision. He's executed his vision about run prevention and, you know, going after the right free agent. You heard him in this interview again. When the right free agent presents themselves like a Yamamoto, they went all out. They didn't have a chance because of their zip code. 
Really, I, I think the Dodgers. It was a, it was going to be tough if, with the Dodgers in it to begin with. But I think if there was another West Coast team, he even said it, uh, Yamamoto, like the Giants, Mets still wouldn't be able to win. These guys like training in Arizona. They like the West Coast. It's closer to Japan. Cohen, as rich as he is, can't change that. Now there's Kodai Sengas. They that that are the exception. But think about him. Ichiro Suzuki. You know, guys like that. It's 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 kind of played out that way. Yeah, the Yankees with Matsui and. Tanaka, I know the Yankees, but they, you know, Kuroda, they required him after the fact. I mean, it does happen, you know, the Yankees, but, you know, when there were Japanese players, you know, Nomo was L.A., uh, you know, Japanese players, you know, especially when they first came over, you know, the Yankees, I mean, there's, there's the brand. So maybe the Yankees supersede that. I'm not so sure anymore. I think the world's changed a lot. So anyway, uh, that's where you're at. That's our Mets State of the Union here. Uh, the kids are going to get a chance, and you better get used to it. And we'll see where a lot of them are at. And I'm not just talking Vientos and Beatty here. I'm talking the kids, the pitchers, maybe some bullpen arms that we're not even talking about. Like uh, your friend John uh, McNone talked about. Mincone, I'm sorry, McNone. McNone was a guy I grew up with. John McNone talked about uh, Nate Lavender. I mean, who, there could be names we're not even thinking about or talking about that emerged during the spring. So we'll see. But all right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back. We're going to get into the Hall of Fame. Oodles and oodles of Mets connections with the Hall of Fame. I have my ballot. I think it's going to cause a stir. I left some guys that are getting a lot of love from the BBWAA off my ballot. And we're going to talk about Wright and Reyes because they're on the ballot. You know, now they've, they're past that, you know, five-year retirement point. And I think we could sit back and kind of do a, a final look back at their era and, and talk about them and talk about where they stand in Mets history. Uh, other Mets connections like Carlos Beltran on the ballot. A lot of near Mets. A lot of, you know, blink of an eye Mets. Mets that almost were Mets during their prime Mets. Like, it's a, it was a fun time. It brought back so much memories. From, well, there's still guys on this ballot from my era growing up. Now, as we go further along, there are guys that we watched, you know, more as an adult. You know, in a few years, Miguel Cabrera will be on. That's the guy we saw in my adult years. But... These are players we watch play. It's not like we're just going off of numbers in some grainy black and white video. So, all right, let's take a quick break. More to come. The Hall of Fame ballot, the Talking Mets Hall of Fame ballot, and a look back at Wright and Reyes' career with the Mets. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this.